0: Always a privilege to be able to share the word, preach the word. I was encouraged yesterday when Jeff told me, even before I was going to preach, that he was going to buy a tape of tonight's service. I didn't, he also said that uh, I really didn't put it all together until they got up here, but he said that uh, Phil and Dale and Dave would also be interested in buying a tape. But he didn't tell me they were going to sing. Pride goeth before a fall. If you have your New Testaments, turn to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. I was working on a sermon for tonight along the same lines that I've been preaching the last couple of times about knowing God and the qualities and the character of God, but I was arrested in my thought by a surprising passage of Scripture, surprising to me because it's it's uh, sort of the other end of the scale, but I wanted to be true to the leadership of God and to preach from the fifth chapter of First Peter tonight, beginning at verse 6. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. You can follow along closely with what version you have. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little... The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The text for tonight would be verse 8. Be sober of spirit, be on the alert, for your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Tonight's sermon really falls into three different categories. The first would be the reality of the devil. The next would be the ruse of the devil. And then comes the resistance of the devil. Those three areas, speaking tonight about our adversary, Satan, the enemy, the devil. There are some different kinds of thoughts floating around about Satan, Different words by which he's known. The words mean accuser, slanderer. Here's one way that we might look at the devil. The true devil against whom we have to be sober and vigilant is within man. He is carried about within the human heart. He is the animal part of the human nature, the devilish animal part within the power in ourselves to make for unrighteousness, the lower affections, thoughts, and appetites by resisting which we can alone become mortal beings or moral beings. Nothing says our Lord entering a man from without can defile him. From out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, and so forth. The history of what the what is called the fall divested of its attractive robes of allegory, represents man preferring the outward to the inward, the apparent to the real, the temporal to the eternal, and the selfish to the godlike. And this is the devil conquering man. The words Satan and devil in the Greek are not names, but nouns denoting certain kinds of character. Satan is called adversary. Devil is slanderer. And it is especially... Uh, to be noted that the very words of the text cannot, without doing violence to their meaning, be interpreting as applying to to any devil but a human devil. Now, I don't know how you feel about that particular commentary, but I don't buy it. I think the devil is more... I didn't read all of that, and you're glad that I didn't. But uh, it goes on to say that there is no evil apart from the human mind that the devil is something that happens within man. The concept of evil and everything is all happening within the human heart. There's no external influence upon man that's the devil. The devil's all within us. It's the lower nature. It's the subnature. Well, I learned a lesson from that. Never buy a commentary over the telephone. <laughs> the Scripture says about the devil, Number one, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, that He tempted Jesus. That refutes everything I've read already. Because Jesus was like us, yet tempted, yet without sin. And none of us here believe that Jesus was evil. And if Jesus was responsible for tempting Himself and having these thoughts within Himself, He was evil. We don't believe that. Number two... In certain parables, Jesus talked about the devil. One in the parable of the tares, it was the devil who came and sowed the tares among the wheat. And the people asked, should we reap both the tares and the wheat together? Or should we take out the tares? Jesus said, don't take out the tares right now when it's harvested. We'll separate the tares from the wheat. But it was the devil that was responsible for sowing the tares He said in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.4 as blinding the minds of the unbelievers lest they repent or lest they be converted and lest they come and see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God. In John 8.44, he's called the father of lies. He's said to be the murderer from the beginning. Hell is said to be prepared for him and his angels in Matthew 25.44. He is the sinner from the beginning, and everyone who sins is of the devil in 1 John 3.8. The devil seeks to devour believers in our text in 1 Peter 5.8. He declares he deceives the whole world in Revelation 12.9, and he is come with great wrath in Revelation 12.12. 12. And in Revelation 12.10 or 20.10, He will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone and to be tormented forever and ever. That to me is not some abstract thought. That to me is not something that's within man. That is a personality that the scripture tells us about and Jesus spoke about the evil influence upon this world. Let's see what he's doing in our text in verse 8. The admonition is to be sober in spirit, to be on the alert, for your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The picture of him is this. First of all, he's said to be the adversary. He's our enemy. Number one, we need to recognize that. He is our foe. He's out to get us. The second thing, he's the word devil simply means accuser or slanderer. That's what he does on our behalf, and that's what he does to us. Slanders and accuses. That's two of his prominent qualities. He's pictured as a roaring lion. He's stalking, he's walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He's waiting for someone to give him an opportunity, not to just trip them up. That word devour literally means to swallow or consume. That's, Jesus used that word when he said, you guys are straining at a gnat but swallowing a camel. Please turn for side two. And it said that death is swallowed up in victory. That same word is used there. It means to consume. It means to utterly destroy. That's the picture of what Satan is doing, walking about seeking whom he may utterly destroy. Destroy. That's the reality of the devil. The second part, the ruse of the devil. Now, I didn't say rouge, what ladies work with. I said ruse. That's, uh, that's an act that is blind. Well, it sort of acts as a blind to cover up something, a real intention of something. It's uh, you do something, but your basic intention is something else, something evil, but you sort of describe or disguise what you're doing, and that's a ruse. Let me give you an example of that. When I was in the Air Force, I think my first year, I wasn't living the Christian life. I was away from the Lord. I was dating a girl that I thought a lot of, and... Uh, we had corresponded through the mail and I was dating her before I went in the air force and I was in a few months and came time for me to come home on leave Christmas time well I we had corresponded but the correspondence had kinda tapered off the last three or four weeks but I figured that's because I was on my way home and we were both busy with the holiday season and all of that well in the meantime I had purchased you know being single making a lot of money in the air force you know these service guys are just loaded (laughs) I bought her an outfit, had a blazer and skirt and slacks, cost me about fifty dollars. When I got home, uh, gave her a call, but not too much enthusiasm on the other end. So the next day I drove to their city, which was a few miles away, and uh, went to their home. She wasn't there, her mother was. She said, oh, you don't know. I said, know what? she said she's engaged her mother didn't know she'd been corresponding to me this whole time uh, only I knew that I guess and there I stood <laughs> there I stood with egg all over my face and fifty dollars under my arm well uh, I pondered what to do all the way home and uh, that outfit was a certain size, and I figured, well, the next girl I date probably won't be that size. <laughs> I wasn't willing to chance it. And uh, my sister was too small for that. Besides, that's a little bit too much to spend on your sister anyway. And uh, so I remember buddy, I took a buddy along. We went back to where I purchased that, that uh those garments, and uh, I went back to the store, and I thought I'd just exchange it, get my money back, never had been used, perfectly good, I laid it on the counter, and I said, I'd like an exchange, I like. she said, well, we can give you credit for that, no, I said, I'd like to have my money back, well, she said, uh, we don't have that kind of a policy, you know, once it's sold, it, it belongs to you, well, I said, can't you make an exception, no, she said, we really can't make any exception. And uh, I said, Well, I really thought quick. I said, Well, I wasn't going to tell you. She said, Tell me what? I said, It's impossible for me to give this gift. And she said, Why? And my buddy knew what the right answer was to that question. And I broke down a little bit. And I said, uh, I said, She was killed last week in an automobile accident. <laughs> I got my money back. (laughs) Now that's a ruse. (laughs) That's covering up the truth. Satan uses that approach for us. Galatians 6-7 says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Who's doing the deceiving? Have you ever thought about that? Who's going to be the one deceiving, be not deceived? Who's going to be trying to trick you? It's Satan. It's the devil. He's a deceiver from the very beginning. That is his job to deceive us. What does he deceive us about? First thing he deceives us about is God. That happened in Genesis 3. The Satan, Satan came to Eve and said, uh, oh, you can eat anything in this garden you want, right? And Eve says, no, there's one tree that we cannot eat from. And Satan began to talk to her. And finally, he brought her around in the conversation where he cast doubt on the character of God. He said, oh, I see. Uh, God doesn't want you to eat that because uh, he's limiting your freedom, isn't he? He's not thinking of your best, is he? Because you don't know good and evil like he does, and he knows if you eat that, of that fruit, you'll know what he knows. And God doesn't want you to know that. You see, he doesn't have your best interests at heart. And she began to doubt the very character of God. Now, Satan will do that to us. He causes us to doubt the very character of God as if God is going to somehow limit our freedom. And I've talked to teenagers and I've talked to other people and asked them this question, why don't you become a Christian? And you know what their answer is? Because I won't be able to do this, because I won't be able to do this, or I won't be able to do that. You see, that's and if that is your answer tonight as to why you're not a Christian, I can tell you something, you've been deceived. God's not in that business at all. And if you believe that, you're deceived. God. The second thing that he confuses us about is about ourselves. First thing, he deceives us about God. Then he deceives us about us. Because he says, you know what's best for you. You know what you need. You know what will make you happy, don't you? And we come up with answers like, yeah, finances, success, fun, freedom, all those things I need, that'll make me happy. That's what I need. That's not the truth. Jesus, when He spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, said, these things will bring you happiness. Happy are the meek. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know what we say? I don't believe that. You know why? We've been deceived. Satan is the deceiver. He also says about you, you can run your own life. You're in control. You're just really in control of your life. You can do what you want. And we say, hey, I like that. That's great. You know what? That's not the truth. That is absolutely not the truth. We are made to be servants. And we will be. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And in that statement, he implies that we do have a master. We can only have one, but we do have one. And in Romans 6 is also. An address to that in the 16th verse. It says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, that you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? We are slaves tonight, every one of us, of two different forces and personalities in this world, both vying for our very soul. We are either a slave to God. And we'll obey him and have righteousness as a result. Or we are a slave to sin and Satan and death is where we're headed. But somehow we've been deceived. I talked to someone just two days ago. And in that conversation I said, "Uh, can I ask you a personal question? Yes. What's your relationship with Christ right now? You know what their answer was? Well, and they hung their head. I guess I'm a little backslidden. That's like being a little pregnant. You are either with child or not. You're either backslidden or you're not. You're not just a little backslidden, you're away from God, admit it. But he was deceived. You know how he'd been deceived? I've backed off just a little bit from God. I don't have to make that complete commitment like you talk about. I've just backed off a little bit. And I'm holding my ground, but I'll make it. He's been deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be alert, be sober. For your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he's out to consume us. There's not a one of us that are really doing our own thing. We're really doing God's thing or Satan's thing. We are not our own master. And you're not running your own life. We have in our lives certain physical things and certain emotional things. We can demonstrate it best by uh, an automobile. It's called a blind spot. Many times on many cars, an automobile can go that's passing you can go out of your rear view mirror and you look over here at the side mirror and it's not there yet. But he's still passing you. We call that he's in your blind spot. And each one of us have certain blind spots. There are things in our lives that we cannot see. Satan takes a hold of that and he complicates it and gives us more things that we cannot see, and sometimes we become blind to the truth. And when we're blind to the truth, we begin to grope around and not understand what God is trying to tell us. The Scripture says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Some people have spiritual blinders on they simply cannot see. It's like a person having a dual personality. And one minute, they're, they're, they're themselves. They're the person they were really made to be. And the other, you talk to them the next month, and they're somebody else. They really believe that they're somebody else. And in the process of that month, certain things happen where they, you know, signs are coming along. They're becoming that other person. There's a day, all the lights go off. At least for other people, they can see it. But when you come to them and you say, hey, you're not that person. They look at you and they say, yes, I am. They really believe they are. That's the problem. They really do. If they didn't believe they were, they wouldn't have a problem. They really believe they are. Satan does that with us. It's that kind of a blindedness. And when you talk to people and talk to them about Christ, if they cannot see the gospel, it's because of those blinders they really cannot see. And that's a barrier that the Holy Spirit of God has to break through. And each one of us that have shared our faith have felt that frustration of trying to break that barrier. You see, I really believe, and for those of us that are on this side of the gospel, that have accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we look back and we say, it's foolish for someone not to accept Christ. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. How can anyone receive, not receive God's Son? Because of the blinders, Because of the deception of the God of this world. Satan also deceives us not only about God and his personality and his character. Not only about ourselves and what we're really like. But he also deceives us about the world. The scripture says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of God, but are of the world. The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father lives forever. And at this point, I have talked to Christians and non-Christians alike who have said, well, I don't see anything wrong with this. I don't see anything wrong with this. For example, I talked to someone a couple weeks ago. And they said, really, I don't see anything wrong with drinking and coming from a Christian perspective. I think all we need to do is go back to our text where it says, be sober. Be on the alert. You say, well, that doesn't apply to drinking. That's being sober in spirit. That means to not be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. You can put in alcohol. You can put anything you want in that blank. Don't be under its influence. Be sober. That is, be of a clear mind so that the Holy Spirit of God can speak to you and be alert. If you're not, that's when the adversary begins to pounce or prance right around you. And he's trying to take you over and to devour your life. He also deceives us about the gospel. And we've talked about that, that the God of this world has blinded the mind of those that believe not. I talked to a lady three days ago in the hospital talking to her about church. And you know what her response was? I don't need church. In fact, I have problems when I come to church. I'm serving God in my own way. And I'm serving her like I want to, but I can't come to church. That's my problem. And I talked to her for a bit and, and realized that was not the right setting to begin to try to minister to her because of the pain and different things that she was going through. I've reserved that for another time. But I couldn't help as I walked away from that, ask myself this question How could she not love that which Christ gave his life for? For Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. But you know why she thinks that? Her statement to me is I am a Christian and I am serving the Lord, but in my own way and by myself. She made that statement because she's been deceived. That helps me to understand those verses where especially Jesus said to those or will say to those in the last day when they say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? And Lord, Lord, didn't we do that in your name? And many have called him Lord, Lord. But his response to them will be, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. They never really knew because they were deceived. The God of this world blinded their minds. The reality of the devil, the ruse of the devil, and finally, the resistance of the devil. And now let's look at the text and the context. We'll find out that there are certain ways that we are encouraged to resist the devil In verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. This word humility is an interesting verse, or an interesting word, found in verse 6. We're told in verse 5 as well to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to each other. We must come to grips with the idea of humility. And really, we come to grips with humility when we come to grips with what's happening as far as the deceit of Satan in our lives. I'm speaking now to someone who has never accepted Christ. Your life has been deceived, and you need to come to grips with the idea of humility. That is, to bow your knee, not to the God of this world, but to the living God to change your mind about what's happening in your life and say, God, I am not on my own, but I want to follow your direction. I want to stop going this way. I want to start going the other way. And you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will raise you up in the proper time. The other thing is to have humility with each other. Humility with each other is not recognizing ourselves higher than the other person, as Romans tells us. And looking at verse 5, it finally says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is so opposed to the proud that in my own mind, in doing a study on this particular word, I refuse to use it any longer. I just so react to the word pride. And we've talked about that before, but I would much rather use the word thankful. I'm thankful for certain things, not proud of. Proud of kind of connotes that I'm, I'm puffed up about it. I should realize who gives me the things in life and be thankful for them. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we humble ourselves in the proper sense before God... We, we would say it this way, we'll get saved. That's humility. Experiencing the new birth, that's humility before God. Look at verse 7 casting all your anxiety on Him, for He cares for you. Be sober in spirit, be on the alert. We've said that sober means to be free from intoxicants or not be under the influence of. To be vigilant is to be spiritually alert. Humility, soberness, and vigilance. The third thing that we do in resisting the devil is in verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith. Faith is what the pastor talked about this morning. Resist. This word resist really means to stand your ground, to take a stand in your faith. It makes reference back to verse 7 where it says, casting all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. That's in the aorist tense in the Greek, which means that happens in a moment of time. We're talking about a, a decision to cast your cares upon Christ and in that faith stand. And you are resisting the devil. The best way that I can describe this, and let's look at a cross reference now, into the book of ephesians the chapter 6 and you'll recognize this passage of scripture because it's talking about putting on the full armor of god i say that because the word itself resist is goes right back to this to this uh, portion of scripture in making a cross reference put on the full armor of god that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil there's that word you may be able to stand firm. Take your stand. I like to caption this portion of, of uh, Scripture, not necessarily the armor of God, but title it, The Best Offense is a Good Defense. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world, forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's Satan. That's where the battle is in the spiritual realm. Therefore, take the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That's exactly what the pastor told us this morning. After you've done everything, stand. That's the same position of 1 Peter 5. After you've done everything, stand firm. Stand your ground. That's resisting the devil. Don't give place unto the devil. He's going about you. You're protected by God unless you fail to stand. What's necessary? Stand firm having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know what truth is? In going back to the text, we find this. Remember that Satan would say, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't have your best interests at heart. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety upon him. Here's the reason. Because he cares for you. That's the truth. That's the truth. He cares for you. And if we were to complete that, in verse 10, there are four things that God wants to do for us. He wants to perfect us. He wants to confirm us. He wants to strengthen us. And he wants to establish us. What God wants to do for us if we were to expound on those words just a little bit, he wants to complete us. He wants to make us whole. That's what God wants to do with our lives. That's why that's how he cares for us. He wants to complete us. The same word when it finds when Jesus came to the disciples before they were disciples and they were mending their nets. They were patching up the nets. They were making it so it didn't have holes in it anymore. That's what he wants to do with our lives. To establish you, that means to make to a Establish you. That means to confirm you. That means to make sure of your relationship with God. That's what he wants to do, number two. The third thing he wants to do is to strengthen you. The word, the opposite of that word strengthen, is feeble or sick. He wants you to be strong and healthy. To have vigor is the word in the Greek. He wants you to have vigor. The fourth thing he wants you to do is to have a foundation and to be grounded. That's that word settle. So he wants to make you complete. He wants to establish you, He wants to give you vigor, and He wants to give you a foundation because He cares for you. That's the truth. Have your loins girded about with truth. Take upon yourself the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, I would title that simply holy living, righteous living. Also, words talked about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Have a good testimony. Be willing to give it. The fourth thing, take upon the shield of faith. Pastor talked about that this morning. The helmet of salvation. That's being saved. That's the new birth. And take for yourselves the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But there's something else that's added to this list. But I think it's important for us to understand. For it goes on to say, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. What ingredients do we have now to the holy living? One, we need to be exposed to the truth. Second thing, we need to get saved. We need to have salvation. The third thing, we need to have holy living as a part of our lives, as a a lifestyle that we take. We need to have a good testimony and be willing to give it. We need to have our lives involved with faith. We need to have our lives involved with the Word of God. And we need to have our lives involved with prayer. Not only for ourselves, but here's the thing that I would like to encourage the church with tonight, is what it goes on to say. And with this new view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is roaring about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. We have a part in each other's lives in praying, as it were, protection for each other. I discovered something in Scripture the other day that I'd never really seen before. And that was in Colossians, the fourth chapter in the twelfth verse, It talks about what prayer does in establishing other Christians. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you this greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He was praying for them. And here's the reason why, that you may stand perfect and fully assured of all the will of God. Now, that's a tremendous power of prayer, that we have the privilege of praying for other people, that we might be protectors, as it were, that other people might mature and be fully assured of the power of God. Another verse that goes along with that is 2 Timothy 2, 24. Where it says this, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, be able to teach, be patient when wronged with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant to them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. says that the Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be a peacemaker, must be a part in the church, a person in the church that would cause conflict to cease. Because the reason, if you could read it right in there from 1 Peter 5, because the adversary comes in and he, and he causes division within the church. Do you see that prayer is one of the important ministries that we have in binding ourselves together that Satan would not come in to destroy God's work. It's not that he could destroy it on his own, but if we gave him an opportunity, that is, if we cease to pray in our own lives, if we cease to have the armor in our own lives, if we cease praying for other people, then we're letting down the guard and Satan is just roaring about seeking whom he may devour. And the Lord has tremendous plans, I believe, for this church in this year. It's going to be exciting what God will do. That is, if we persist and we keep the faith and we hold on and hold the standard and continue to pray and to love one another. I appreciate so much the fact that I'm a part of this church because I feel like that this is happening. The admonition tonight is don't take it for granted. Don't let down your guard. Let's keep the standard high. Let's keep the the prayers protecting each other. Let's hold on to God that He might hold us up and that we might see greater things happen this year than even we can imagine and hope for. As I begin to put this sermon together... I couldn't help but think of some of our teenagers, and I guess mainly it was some of the some of them that I was thinking of this sermon. I was thinking because I know that of some of the influences that they're surrounded with today, that there is a tremendous pressure to say there is no devil. That's only that's an antiquated thought. Evil is only something that is is conjured up in your own mind. Everything's relative. But the Scripture speaks volumes about the devil. The second thing is of the ruse of the devil. That he's tricking us about what God is like. He's tricking us about what we are like. About the gospel and about the world. But we need to be on the alert and not be deceived by the God of this world. And finally, the encouragement to the church to continue to resist the devil. And as pastor encourages us this morning, in having done all, to stand. I would like for you to stand with me, please. And I'd like for us to sing a hymn in closing. That would be appropriate. In having done all, to stand, would it not? I would like for us to sing 452... And the name of the song is Hiding in Thee. And the words of that song will speak about the enemy. It will speak about Satan. His influence, his treachery, his trickery upon our lives. But the answer is, I'm hiding, Lord, in Thee. If that is your testimony tonight, I want you to sing it as such. Your testimony. If you have somehow come to grips tonight with the fact that you have been deceived, You thought that perhaps that you were doing your own thing when really you're doing the things of the world, the things of the devil. For you're either on one side of the fence or the other. Every one of us tonight are either resisting or under the ruse of Satan. If God has spoken to you tonight, if you would like to accept Christ, if you would like to repent, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and find out what it's like on the other side, of the experience of salvation, I would encourage you as we're singing to come and make this your song of invitation as Bill leads us together.